Welcome to the SF Weekly Podcast. I'm Nick Veronin, your editor in exile, and I am joined once again by Kevin the Lanky Looper Hume. What's up, Kevin? <laughs> What's up, dude? How's it going? It's going all right. We, um, you know, we missed a milestone. Um, Did we? Yeah, the podcast, the SF Weekly Podcast, had its 40th episode a few weeks back. Nice. Over the hill. <laughs> and I... We're both approaching that rapidly, so we're getting there, getting there. Yeah, yeah. I'm gonna be 36 this year. Somebody who I read uh, is 38 years old. The man by the name of Matthew from the great state of Florida, America's <laughs> America's droopy dick, as uh, Alana's <laughs> Alana's mother uh, said. We're rewatching. Uh, what, what's it called? Uh, Broad City. You ever watch that? Yeah, I love Broad City. It's so good. And Alana's mother is played by, and I can't remember her name. I don't oh. know, but, but it's the same woman that's in uh, Curb. Yeah, yeah. Jeff's wife in Curb. Oh, she's so good in yeah. both of those. But yeah, she's especially good in Curb. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So yeah, so the the last episode I watched was like they went down to Florida. They uh, were, I think, uh, Alana's mom or grandmother had passed away, and mm-hmm. and Alana's mother and her sister, Alana's aunt, played in this episode by Fran Drescher. We're kind of nice. like going over splitting up the stuff and um, yeah, they were in this retirement community and um, like everyone had guns. <laughs> it's like an old man, like getting into the pool, like covered in tanning oil and like he had a gun in like a, in like a Ziploc bag. <laughs> everyone had a gun. That was, that was Florida running gag. So yeah, Matt, I was going to say gets, you think it's gates, right? I, I, I don't know. I mean, it doesn't look like gates, but I believe I've heard people gates guns g-a-e-t-z he's been making headlines because creepy congressman yeah um he's uh he's he's being investigated for uh potentially uh sex uh trafficking the trafficking of a minor um he was uh you know it seems from everything that i've been reading like like he's got a relationship with this other florida politician this other guy and they might be bros and they might be, you know, doing all kinds of weird, creepy stuff uh, with like, you know, young women. And apparently the the FBI is looking into this one young woman who was 17 at the time and he may have paid money or somehow, uh, you know, given her money for sex uh, and to cross state lines, which if that's proven, that's trafficking. And um he says it's just one big character assassination nah. attempt, a hit job. He apparently right. went on. He apparently went on. Have you seen clips from this? I actually haven't watched them yet. Uh, yeah, the about, Tucker Carlson interview. Yeah, thing. like tell us about that. Have, well, I I don't. I mean, I didn't watch the entire thing because fuck Tucker Carlson. Right. But yeah. um, I mean, he went on there, and first off, if you've never heard this guy speak, uh, he does not sound natural speaking. He just sounds like he has been incredibly coached in what he's saying Ah. so it's just a string of you know just stuff that you hear politicians like him say you know Uh uh that this never happened and it's a made-up blah 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 Uh um but then sort of like out of nowhere he brought up one accusations uh that tucker carlson had faced in his past yeah, uh, which was like somebody who sort of stalked Tucker Carlson 
and accused him of something and they had never met apparently um i'm not going to go into that because i don't know shit about that uh but then the congressman also brought up a time when he was out to dinner with tucker carlson and his wife and i think he alleged that that the woman involved in this was there like that tucker carlson had met this this unnamed i guess 17 year old or something um it just was bizarre and i guess uh, tucker carlson i believe after the fact sort of said that i do not remember anything of this sort i do uh, not recall that uh, yeah ladies and gentlemen despite the fact i mean you know when you go out to dinner with folks you kind of remember elements of it especially if somebody who is approaching 40 brings somebody who is clearly a teenager or you know yeah. below 20 Thank you. Um, that. so that was really really fucking weird and, and that's, then so he, that's, a, that's a weird thing to like bring up like on the air it's kind of like it's almost like a threat and you know like yeah. a veiled threat like oh well you're you're it's fucking like, hands are dirty too bro yeah dude it's like he totally was trying to like i'm dirty so i'm bringing you in with me um and then of course after the fact tucker carlson acknowledged on air that it was one of the weirdest interviews he's ever been right. a part of so well, I, I i watched so i didn't watch the clip I, I i meant to but the one thing i did see was like tucker making this face like he always does yeah i mean that's his face he's looking more he's got like a trump thing going on in that like around his eyes it's very like pink but like he's got a tan face you know yeah he's very much that you know face of a rock with just he just looks like he's been putting on way too much bronzer one 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 more element perhaps of trump's influence on the party like not only do you have to kiss the ring but you gotta like be orange i don't know i don't know orange is the new black (laughs) orange is the new black soul of the of the gop the dying gop yeah the dying the failing new york times and the dying gop um so matt gates um saying that name reminds me of a great great rapper by the name of kevin gates who uh uh, we were talking right before this podcast if and you you're not familiar but if you haven't heard Kevin Gates? Listen to Kevin Gates. He's awesome. If you do, if you don't want to listen to Kevin Gates, at least look up the Pitchforks over Pitchfork over under video um, featuring Kevin Gates, where this like amazing Southern drawling like Dirty South rapper talks about Taylor Swift, Blink One Eighty Two, and like all at like Avril Lavigne starts. I think he starts singing Skater Boy um you wouldn't uh and perhaps this is a problem with systemic racism i didn't expect to hear him say that but you know he's been he's listen he can listen to alternative radio too and he mm-hmm. just goes on at length about it and he is hilarious he's a real real character kevin gates nice we're not talking about him though we're talking about matt gates um this is the same guy who also like uh before the dust had even settled on the Capitol on January 6th was like, Oh yeah. Um, I read uh, somewhere that uh, Antifa was behind this uh, and that they were, you know, uh, it was a false flag operation and yada, 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 the same old shit. He's a the defender. Same old muddying the waters. Yeah, exactly. He's a defender of the Donald. Uh, he has some, a, a defender or two, one of whom is Marjorie Taylor green. 
Ooh, of course like they're me. in cohorts. <laughs> oh my god. Uh, in most cases, yeah, I think you like if Marjorie Taylor Greene is defending you, you like no, don't do that. Don't no. talk. No, <laughs> don't come to my defense. No, this guy is just slippery, slimy, the worst of the worst. And, of course, he's from Florida. Florida. Seems like a beautiful place, but something about Florida. Um, what was I going to say? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's just it's it's just one more impact that, like, Trump and, and, and the you know, it's not all Trump. Trump is a, 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 a symptom. Trump is a symptom, not a, a the cause, right? That's what people say, but. Republican Party seems to be splitting in, in two ways, and uh, Matt Matt Gates is w- one of the ways it's it's breaking, and, and it's not good for the country, and it's just disheartening to see. It's really shitty, yeah. Um. Well, on a lighter note, uh, Tune Yards is on the podcast this week. Uh, that is the duo of Meryl Garbus and Nate Brenner. Um, they uh, are a Bay Area duo. Garbus came out of Oakland um, uh, in the late 2000s, around 2008, 2009, with her album Bird Brains. She recorded it sort of on her own using a bunch of looping stuff. And um, we were talking a little bit about like that period of of music right before we started recording kevin and i guess you're not as familiar with it i can i can talk about it if you like yeah i mean please do i have i can't say much at all (laughs) so well yeah i mean like you know like looping pedals right like i had when we were when we were playing together i had the uh what did i have i had the the uh, a kai head rush and it was a delay pedal but it also had like a, a looping a looping effect and so like you could create a loop on your guitar. And I think, um, I think around the turn of the millennium, you know, as recording software at home was getting a lot better. Um, these pedals were like really getting a lot better and the response to that. And I guess also the great recession and bands, you know, the economy being hard was like, I think around that time we started to see bands that like, or, you know, bands I'm using air quotes here, like that just, uh, it was one or two people and they could go on tour kind of in a, a car, didn't even need a van. And, you know, you mm-hmm. could create multiple parts of the song yourself using looping pedals. Looping is still a thing, you know, bands like um, Alt J, I would assume does that, you know, involves looping. Um, there's a, a group called Dirty Projectors, which they've been around for a while now, but they really were taken off it you know, 20, 2008, 2010, um, Mm -hmm. really bright. Um, maybe what I would call sort of like like progressive punk rock in a way. I don't know. Um, not like, not like at the drive-in though, like really bright major chords and like angular looping and loping stuff. That's, you know, like repeating and, um, tune yards is, it was a part of that. Um, Mm -hmm. and Meryl really took off. Um, and this is their fifth or sixth album, I think. And nice. um, one of the things, you know, w- one of her bona fides is that she uh, she and Nate were tapped to do the um, soundtrack to Sorry to Bother You. You see that movie? Yeah, I did. It was fantastic. And the score was really great. Yeah, yeah. And that movie, I'm pretty good at horror movies. Like, I can watch most of them, especially, like, gory, stupid stuff. 
and just go mm -hmm. right to sleep. But that one um, starts out as more of like a social commentary. And then in the third act, it has a horrific, bizarre twist that I don't want to reveal. I mean, I'm already probably giving away too much by saying that, but mm -hmm. that movie fucked but, me I mean, up it was a very, bit. yeah, it's very psychological. Like you don't really expect it to be, um, but it was really really good yeah some serious social commentary on sort of the tech industry in silicon valley too like i i like turned that movie off and i was just like god that is so true i mean it's fantastical what ultimately ends up happening but it's like it's kind of true mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah <laughs> looping looper have you seen looper i think i did uh which, Joseph Levin, JGL, and Bruce Willis. They play older and younger versions of each other. Some pretty good prosthetics. Oh, no. No, I didn't see that. I'm confusing it with the terrible Hayden Christensen movie, Jumper. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I've seen that one. <laughs> don't. <laughs> save yourself. Save yourself whatever you need to see it and, and don't. Yeah. Uh, but no, I, I've, I've, I know of Looper and I think it's been on my list for a long time and just haven't ever made it happen. Maybe I should. Maybe you should. I think you should. It's got Jeff Daniels in it too. Um, hey, so last week we talked about your, uh, your, your first dose of the vaccine. Um, do you have a second mm -hmm. one lined up? Actually, yes. Uh, it's this coming Wednesday. Uh, so it's a coming soon. That's great, man. Well, um, yeah. Hope you uh, hope hope that treats you well. I've heard the second one can be a little bit more of a kick in the butt. I haven't gotten my first yeah. one yet, so we'll see how that goes down. But yeah, I hope you and everybody who's listening can get one sooner rather than later. Uh, you know, things are moving forward. I know uh, that the state is moving to get people of all ages, uh, hopefully, to get vaccinated uh within the next month or two to be able to start getting their shots so hopefully sooner rather than later everybody can get one yeah yeah all right well um like i said coming up on the podcast we're talking to Mario garbus and nate brenner of tune yards they've got a new album out called sketchy and uh we'll be right back stay tuned with Meryl Garbus and Nate Brenner of Tune Yards. When Meryl made Bird Brains, the 2008 debut recording from her Oakland-based recording project Tune Yards, part of what earned the album critical plaudits was its quirky, offbeat character. Eleven years and five albums later, Tune Yards are back with their latest full-length, Sketchy. Garbus joins us today, along with her primary collaborator, bassist Nate Brenner. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Great to be here. Yeah, yeah. Meryl, um, you, when you spoke with SF Weekly contributor Bill Kopp uh, for the piece that is uh, on the website now under the music tab, um, 
You said that earlier in your career, you put a lot of pressure on yourself to make music that was starkly different than everything else out there. But these days, maybe not so much. There's been some evolution. Can you talk about that? Yeah, I think in the, um, we, you know, I, I and we had a lot to prove, I think, in the beginning of things, meaning um, I think I had grand plans to change the face of uh, the face and the ears and the sounds and the everything of pop music. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, I wanted to be myself and be, um, you know, introduce as I heard bands like Deer Hoof and Dirty Projectors and, um, you know, er in earlier days, um, Laurie Anderson, people who who really pushed what could be considered popular music. Um, I wanted to be one of those bands. <laughs> mm -hmm. So I think, I think there was a lot, there were a lot of decisions that I made, um, you know, for instance, how I recorded bird brains on a handheld recorder or, um, you know, compositional choices, adding, adding extra bars or sounding dissonant on purpose um, that felt more in, in that realm of um, how to be different rather than, I think on this, you know, now in, in our older age, <laughs> we've mellowed. We can allow ourselves a catchy chorus without um, without worrying that we don't sound different. I think we still sound, you know, unique. And I mean, I don't have any perspective, but yeah, yeah. that that was kind of um, what I've been thinking about our our maturity. Anything to add, Nate? I remember working on the last album, not sketchy, but the I can feel you creeping to my private life um another a producer came in the studio and he was like like i love tune yards like you guys are the type of band that you can you know you sound really weird but if you wanted to you could just write a smash pop hit <laughs> and i was like i don't think we could if we you know like i think for um for us now it, or i guess i should just speak for myself um i feel like i'm just trying to be involved in music that I would want to listen to. And I do love, uh, you know, smash pop hits, but do I really <laughs> love them? The, you know, the kind of like the super mainstream stuff. Like, I don't think we could make any other type of music than the music that we make. Um, if that makes sense. Well, I mean, I got to try We've tried. We've tried, We've We've tried, tried. to make Smash Pop. I got to say, and maybe this is just me, but like when I was listening to Hypnotize, uh, is it Hypnotized with a, is it past tense mm -hmm. or Hypnotized yeah. um, off, yep. off, off of Sketchy? Um, for some reason, um, Lizzo came to mind. Um, I mean, I think that's mm -hmm. a, that's a catchy song. Thank you. That's a huge compliment. Yeah. Yeah. And Liz, I mean, Lizzo's incredible. So, and a great example, excuse me uh, yeah. for interrupting, but a great example of, of pushing pop music. I mean, that she, she it's when that album came out, I feel like she, it was like a genre was reinvented. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and that she's, she's exemplifying really catchy stuff that, that clearly people have, um, you know, that hooks people in while also being super challenging, I think, musically. Yeah. So I wanted to back up a little bit. Um, it's been a while since I've listened to Tune Yards' music in a super intentional way. Um, I'm thinking maybe Bird Brains was the last time I gave it a very, very close listen. 
Um, that's because I actually interviewed you, Meryl, for Wired Magazine, a short little blurb uh, that was back in the magazine uh, in those days. Uh, the way I pitched that story to my editor was that you were basically the queen of looping. You build these amazing propulsive songs playing most of the parts yourself, even singing backup for yourself. And you could do it in a way that like wasn't laborious as some live loopers if you've watched uh, listeners and you <laughs> Meryl and Nate mm -hmm. if you've watched can be a little laborious to watch as a musician myself I have to believe some of that method came out of necessity and then like you know you're you're starting out and, and then that necessity within those restrictions that is you, you kind of found a sound maybe I'm maybe I'm kind of making yeah. this up no, no, I, you're, you're right. Yeah. On. So, but then you lean into it, right? You lean into it and then you find a sound and, and, and then you find success. And in my mind, I'm imagining, you know, more support from record labels and stuff like that. Um, people know tune yards now and since bird brains and up until now, have you like been embracing that and maybe shelling out a little bit for a touring band, for instance? Um, is it nice to bring more people into the studio? I guess this is a long wind up to ask about the evolution of tune yards. Mm. I do. And we, we did that interview like in an actual space together, right? We may have. It's, it's been, I a, mean, it, I've never, it's been so long. I really, I do remember that. Cause I was like, cause I thought, wow, how cool mm -hmm. <laughs> that the looping, that someone is understanding the looping part of things because, because I worked really hard to make it. First of all, I worked really hard to practice doing it so that I could do it without you know, quantizing or using Ableton or a software where it would, it would, um, you know, where the computer was helping me loop. Mm -hmm. Um, but also that it was, it's great to be appreciated for, um, for that technical aspect of it. And for, um, it, it definitely came, came out of necessity as in I started tune yards basically when my bandmate in my other band was on tour with his other band mm -hmm. <laughs> and I was alone and I was like, I need a full sound, but I only have myself. Um, so it definitely came out of, of, of necessity. And then I think allowed me to be by myself and make the music, um, you know, not compromise in, in terms of the sound that I wanted to hear. I, I, um, the next album after Bird Brains was Who Kill, and that tour was with the two of us. I was on drums, including looping drums live. Nate was on bass, and we had two saxophone players with us as well. Um, and looping was a really big part of the show. And then throughout the years, I think we've kind of we we kind of went away from looping as much. I use looping more for drones or, um, you know, kind of incidental, uh, layers of the sound on the, and the, probably the next album after that. And then lately it's been great to get back into it, um, in different ways. So now I use looping because we mostly play with a drummer, Hamir Atwal, who's a Bay area jazz hero. Um, but he, he's because he has the rhythm section down i can just um i i've been able to use to kind of press looping in a different way uh, mostly really rhythmic vocal loops that again aren't quantized but are these really challenging hockets or interlocking um polyphony i guess 
and um, and using that as you know where I'm stretching myself in terms of performance. Does that make sense? That's two yards. Yeah. Well, fast, I mean, I, <clears throat> I followed a little bit of that. I mean, I'm just a, I'm an amateur musician, uh, amateur musician, but you know, um, I, I've had to play by myself before, and um, I have like a a Kai head rush, very limited. It's a, the delay pedal first, and um, but it's fun. It's fun, right. and and also I just know that like. I think a lot of being a successful finding a sound is about kind of having some parameters. And if those parameters are like imposed by what, you know, you have to work with, that's a little bit built in. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the economics of it too. I mean, I feel like we, last time we went out to two bands ago, it was five people on stage and this last tour, it was three people on stage. And a lot of that was, you know, factoring economics into it and also climate change and how many people we wanted to send flying across the world all the time. So, um, so definitely there are, like you say, parameters and limitations that come from things besides music, which, which I think is right. I mean, I think that we're, uh, we're not, I don't know, Dua Lipa. <laughs> we can't decide or, you know, like a mega star who can kind of decide what, what the band's made of and, and maybe, prop up a larger ecosystem of um of a band yeah nate do you have any thoughts on that yeah i i think also for just in terms of the economics like right when we were starting out i just remember all these bands that were like we used to be in a bus now we're driving ourselves mm -hmm. and all this stuff and so we kind of were just like okay that's just the natural trajectory like you're gonna you know be big for a few years and then get back to the you know driving yourself in a toyota corolla <laughs> um so the whole time we were trying to um really be frugal and like you know not have guitar techs or monitor engineers and just we're just like setting up our own gear but hopefully like being able to sustain it for longer so just kind of like you know we had really good tour managers like at the beginning that were just like like you can't be a band that uh you know you have to set up your own gear mm. <laughs> don't, don't lose your edge yeah don't lose your edge like two people to a room it sounds like you're like thinking no of somebody that's very specific because you're starting to do a voice <laughs> it's not yeah, yeah it's, it's not just um, generic the, yeah. <laughs> It's not. It's not like uh, Rolling Stones, nineteen seventy, Led Zeppelin. You know, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. And maybe that. I mean, that's probably been. You know, we might have limited ourselves that way too. But, but I do think that. Um, I do think we were right because we're still here. We're still here <laughs> somehow. Um. So the, the I want to talk about. <clears throat> I'm sorry to bother you. There was a time when I wasn't, and there's another long wind up, so bear with me. There was a time when I like, I wasn't really good at watching horror movies. They scared me and that lasted longer than I'd like to admit into my twenties. But like today I can watch him go straight to bed, sleep like, sleep like a baby. But I gotta say, sorry to bother you got under my skin in a real way. I was like shook. And I know that that's thanks to Boots Riley, the film's director, Lakeith Stanfield, the rest of the cast. But I feel like you, Tune Yards, who did the soundtrack or score, um, may uh, had a had a role in making me feel uneasy. And I didn't realize it when I watched the movie the first time. But looking back, I'm like, oh, that that was a good good choice, Tune Yards. It's it's a bizarre zigging zagging um, 
film and, and you make, you know, sometimes bizarre zigging zagging songs. Um, <laughs> another long wind up, like I said, but I wondered if you could talk about how you approached writing that score and maybe this all kind of feeds into, you know, getting more mature or whatever and, you know, doing your Trent Reznor and uh, Atticus Finch and yeah. just making scores going know, forward. Right. We got one can dream. <laughs> one can dream. Um, thank you. And yeah, I, I mean, I think we've, it's been, it's been really, I don't know. It's been very um, amazing to, to also feel that kind of respect from Boots in terms of how, how he knows that music really factors into, to what the vibe that's created, the, the atmosphere that's created um, and being a musician himself and having that experience, it was a really unique uh, time working on that film and um, having someone giving us ideas and feedback that, you know, uh, from, a, from a very skilled ear, but I guess it started, um, you know, it started with, meeting with Boots really early on in the process before the movie had any funding or anything. And um, he approached me, I think, I think because he knew that he wanted voice to be a big part of the score. And so I just started by reading the screenplay and, um, and, you know, thinking this movie will never be made. It's too good. <laughs> um, and, and then kind of being like, but I'm going to be, you know, I'm going to be myself because that seems to be what, what Boots was, you know, why he asked Toon Yards to be involved. Um, so I started with, you know, strange vo vocal stuff through a harmonizer pedal and um, just gave him, kept giving him some kind of abstract demos to work with. And then, and then when the movie got funded, I think he was he had he had started to pluck out certain uh, themes that he liked. And then when we knew it was going to be actual work, then Nate Nate got heavily involved, and we wrote our butts off. <laughs> it was a, it's a lot of it's a lot of composing. I mean, a lot of just outputting of content of music. Um, so. Yeah, there was a lot, a lot of back and forth. Boots was at our studio quite a bit, just kind of, you know, listening to stuff and giving us an idea of, you know, we, I think a lot of the time we were kind of foretelling with the music, the horror parts of mm -hmm. it versus, and, and he really didn't want us to do that. He really wanted to save, mm. to save it for the moment of the reveal. And, and that was really, you know, there were these things where we really needed to understand what he was looking for from the music that was different from what we might've expected. I have a question for Nate more on a, and maybe you as well, Meryl, but um, Nate, you're primarily a bassist. I'm sure you play lots of other stuff, but um, mm -hmm. like you probably help with arranging and producing I feel like that falls to bassists a lot, or is it that people who gravitate toward the arranging and the producing like the bass for some reason, like it's the, it's the building, it's the, one of the first building blocks, or am I just, am I completely wrong here? I, for me, I think, so I started out on the drums actually. And then um, when I was, when I was growing, played, mostly drums and then I moved to bass when I was probably 13 or 14 and then got deep into upright bass mm. and then um I studied the upright bass at, in college and then was kind of just like so into 
jazz and um and then around i guess like in 2007 or so i just like got really into production and like synth bass and just kind of i think because i was so focused on just the upright bass for for so long like all of a sudden i was like wait a minute there are all these other sounds that are available like with you know the synthesizers and whatnot um so it might just be that for bass players like myself i was just like just spent so long in this like one you know low frequency range that all of a sudden i was just like oh there's so much more like but we're i haven't spent the time like you know shedding the piano or guitar or any other instrument so like the other options are just like more you know on the creative end of like making decisions with arrangements mixing bringing in other musicians instead of like oh i'm going to grab this other instrument and mm. and do you know the full like multi-instrumentalist thing so it might just be that um i was so obsessed with this one you know very very specific thing like upright bass from 1961 through 1964 <laughs> like this you know very specific sound that i had that kind of like a back Lash where I was like, now I want everything, like <laughs> every sound I can imagine. I want a glockenspiel, a flute, like yeah. you know. So I, don't, yeah, I guess that's why. But um, I have no idea, honestly. <laughs> it's just kind of, it could be astrological or something too. Well, um, running out of time here. You, uh, you've released this album. Um, maybe the end is in sight for the pandemic. Um, what's what's next for Tune Yards? Good question. Um, we're going to be doing more scoring. So um, that's exciting. And we'll just have, I mean, you know, normally, I think we would be normally, we would be on tour uh, right now, mm. you know, ha having released an album. And I think it's a good chance to stop and consider that we're in a climate emergency and really reconsider um, how much we want to be flying around the world and how we can give fans things um, that help them experience the music from this album that we're really proud of um, with, without feeling like we're really contributing to a system that um, is ruining the future. Mm -hmm. So I think we have a, we have a chance to do that. And, and that being said, we also have um, a couple shows at the end of this year that it sounds like we'll try to try to do to try to get the music out in front of people um, but we'll see. We'll have to see what next year brings and um, and what the future brings. And and I really hope that there'll be touring innovation and travel innovation so that we we have all the other alternatives besides burning fossil fuel to, to you know, to get our music around. OK. All right. Well, um, Tune Yard's newest album, uh, Sketchy, is out now. You can read um, Bill Cop's profile on uh, Merrill and Nate and Tune Yards at sfweekly.com. Uh, I want to thank you, Merrill and Nate, for joining us today on the podcast and have, have a great day. Thanks. You too. Our pleasure. Thank you, Nick. Thanks so much for tuning into this week's edition of the SF Weekly Podcast. 
The episode was produced by me, Nick Veronin. My inimitable co-host is Kevin Hume. Mike Huguenor is our audio engineer. For more hot takes, deep dives, and alternative views on San Francisco news, subscribe to our podcast on Apple, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your casts. And we'll see you next week. Mm-hmm.